We are living in these stories of the book of Acts this summer and experiencing uh, what it meant for them, these new believers, these first Christians, to experience the presence and the power of Jesus. And that's what we are asking God for ourselves as well. So let's, let's continue the story with Acts chapter 4. Mine is titled here, Peter and John Before the Sanhedrin, the leaders of the temple, the religious leaders. And we're just going to read the whole chapter this morning, chapter 4 of the book of Acts. The priests and the captain of the temple guard And the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? This healing of this lame man in the previous chapter. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed." Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. And they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges." As far as us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. 
On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why did the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This is God's word for us today. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love. We ask that you would open our ears and deep down in our souls to hear your voice today. Amen. Early in the 20th century, there was a man named Ernest Shackleton. He decided that he was going to make it to the South Pole. He wanted to explore this unexplored, frozen land that people only knew a little bit about. And he needed a crew to go with him to the South Pole. This is the ad that he put in a London newspaper. Men wanted for hazardous journey. Small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful. <laughs> Can you imagine getting four or five guys who wanted to respond to that? Well, the response was so overwhelming that Shackleton later said, it seemed as though all the men in Great Britain wanted to accompany us. There's something in the human spirit that longs for a challenge. There's something in us that knows we were made for courage. But there's something in the human spirit that also fools us into believing that while that may be true for exploring the South Pole, it's not true for matters of our faith. We get easily lulled into comfort in our faith. I mean, have you ever seen an ad like this? Men and women wanted for hazardous journey, long hours, no wages, Constant discomfort, ridicule, and danger. Comfort and security, doubtful. Interested? Come to church. 
should we put that in the paper next Sunday and see what happens? It makes us laugh because it's so different than the normal, common, what we're used to, Western, uh, American experience of being followers of Jesus. It almost sounds like a joke, right? I think if Peter and John were in charge of marketing for the first United Methodist Church of Jerusalem in AD 33, their ad would have sounded a lot more like Ernest Shackleton's ad. They were not off to an easy start, this new group of believers, these first followers of Jesus. They have gathered together in this upper room. They've experienced the Holy Spirit, God's presence and God's power residing in them and working through them. They've seen all kinds of people who speak all kinds of languages coming and joining them as followers of Jesus. Can you imagine what those early church potlucks must have been like with people from all over these different ethnic groups coming together and sharing food and trying to figure out the communication between them all? And they're going out every day and and telling people, sharing publicly, preaching and... and, and uh, and praying for people and lifting up the name of Jesus and letting their neighbors know who this Jesus is and that there is salvation found in no one else, but that he offers salvation. On the way to the temple, just the, the chapter before this, in chapter four, Peter and John came across a lame man and in the name of Jesus, they, they uh I told him to stand up and walk, and, and they saw God heal him right there. So this man has come to the temple with them. Everyone can see that now he can walk. And Peter and John get in trouble for it. No good deed goes unpunished, they say, right? Peter and John get in trouble for it because the, the leaders in the, in the temple, the religious leaders, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the elders, the teachers of the law, there's this group that are often listed together. They don't want Jesus getting any more fame and any more credit because they don't, they don't believe that he really is the Messiah. And they think that Peter and John and the other Christians are leading people astray. So they arrest Peter and John and they, they put him in prison for the night, and the next day they bring him out and say, okay, what's going on here? I love their response. They say, uh, are, you, are you upset because we were nice to this lame man? Is that why you've called us here today for our kindness? But they never pass up the opportunity to lift up the name of Jesus, and they, they tell these leaders, it is because of Jesus that this man was healed and salvation is found in him. They hadn't gotten to the part of being a follower of Jesus that involves joining a church with great coffee. I love our coffee here. And comfortable seats and great music. They didn't know any better. They weren't expecting comfort. But they did have one thing in common with us. They had to deal with fear. And they did have a lot to be afraid of, being arrested, 
physical torture, public mockery, legal trouble. I mean, their leader, Jesus, had been crucified, so they knew what could happen to them. So what a surprise when they're standing before the, uh, the teachers of the law, the elders, that they're so bold. And, it, and listen to the reaction of those religious leaders. Verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. What did the religious leaders note? They noted the courage of Peter and John. It says they were astonished. Astonished that in the face of all these things that should have been making them afraid, Peter and John were still sharing the good news of Jesus with such boldness and such courage. They were astonished because Peter and John, it says, they said were unschooled, ordinary men. That term unschooled referred to rabbinical training training in the mastery of biblical argument. These two hadn't been to seminary. They didn't have a master of divinity. They didn't have a bachelor's degree, an associate's, or even a high school diploma. But there they were, just boldly sharing about Jesus, the good news. So what was the reason for their boldness? I love it, what it, how, it how it puts it here. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's what made the difference. These men had been with Jesus. They had experienced, were experiencing the presence and the power of Jesus. That's what this series, Empowered, that we're in this summer is all about. As we spend time this summer in the great stories in the book of Acts, we see how the power of God's presence living in them transformed a frightened, unequipped group of disciples into people who turned the world upside down. And we're not just studying and, and learning these stories we're, we're inviting God to do the same among us this summer. We want to spend the summer welcoming the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we've been experiencing that together. We've prayed for each other. We laid hands on each other a few weeks ago. And then last Sunday also uh, gave people the opportunity to stand and those around them to just lay hands on them and pray for them. It's been a powerful experience to see God moving among us in ways that really have very little to do with the people like Pastor Bill and me who have the master's degrees, laying hands on people or doing the ministry. You all have been doing the ministry. You all have been praying for each other. You all have been welcoming the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And it's so exciting. Really, this is all about living into the vision that God has given us as a church, our vision to sail. You see that plastered all over the place on your bulletin and out in the gallery. 
Our, our vision to sail is, is those four letters, S, meaning seek Jesus. You want to say that with me? Seek Jesus. That part of the vision is to remind us that people don't just seek Jesus automatically. That part of our, our task, our role, is to help them seek Jesus. And we want to be really intentional about that. We want our neighbors and our friends and our family to know that God loves them, to know how they can seek Jesus. We want to help them seek Jesus and, and know that, that Jesus is seeking them, that they can find him. It doesn't happen by accident. And the, that's the S in sale. The A is activate your faith. You want to say that with me? Activate your faith. This is learning the basics of the Christian faith. Once, once someone has come to give their life to Jesus, then how, how do we grow? Do we just expect that to happen automatically? Or, or, or can we give people a plan that anyone who wants to grow can work their way through? That's the, the, the idea of activate your faith, to learn the basics of the Christian faith and what it means to follow Jesus. And one of those basics is prayer, to know how to pray and to experience prayer. And as we have prayed for each other the last few weeks, that has really come alive for a lot of people. The I in sale is invest in God's mission. You want to say that with me? Invest in God's mission. That helps us to know how to not just be disciples, but to make disciples. It gives us the training and the coaching and the tools that we need to know how to make disciples as well as be disciples. And the power of the Holy Spirit is, can be at work in all of us to make disciples. And then the L is love completely. Say that with me, love completely. This comes from the great commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The Holy Spirit empowers that. We see that lived out in Acts. We see that lived out in us when we live as disciples who make disciples. When they saw the courage Peter and John, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Oh, don't you want people to say that about us? That is a group of people who has been with Jesus. I can't think of a better compliment to, to have someone say about me or about any of you, about our church together. They have been with Jesus. The presence of Jesus in our lives is what gives us courage. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Psalm 27 says, whom should I fear? There's so much in scripture about how God gives us courage with his presence. I don't know about you, but I'd like some more courage. I would. I would like some more courage because I can come up with a list of probably 30 things at a moment's notice 
that can make me afraid. How about you? What's on your list? Is it a long list or short list, maybe with a few big things on it? It seems like there is so much that can make us afraid as individuals and and also as churches. The American, the, the whole Western church seems to be feeling particularly discouraged and afraid as we look at how, how the church is doing um, in, our, in our culture. There was a study a few years back from the Fuller Institute about the American church. It noted that every year, more than 4,000 churches close their doors compared with just over 1,000 new church starts. Every year, 2.7 million church members fall into inactivity. Over this 10-year period that they studied, the combined membership of all Protestant denominations in the U.S. declined by almost 5 million members, while the U.S. population increased by about 24 million. Half of all the churches in the U.S. did not add any new members to their ranks in the last two years. That's the kind of climate that church people, Christians, live in in our country. There's a lot that we could feel afraid and discouraged about. Fear is a, is a huge, very real enemy that we have to face, just like Peter and John and those early disciples had to face. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. You ready? Jesus casts out fear. The presence of Jesus and the presence of fear don't coexist. They're like oil and water. They cannot stay in the same space. Jesus is the solution to fear. It's exactly what those religious leaders saw in Peter and John. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. The presence and the power of Jesus. Jesus promised he would come to us. He said, that's why I have to go away. That's why he ascended back into heaven so that his spirit could come. He could send his spirit to come and live within and among his people. So he came to them and he will come to us if we ask. They took note. They had been with Jesus. The presence of Jesus brings freedom from fear. In Westminster Abbey, this huge church in London, if you go in there to visit, you see that all over the floor and all over the walls, everywhere are little memorials to people who have been buried there. People are buried like in the floor and then there's like... It says things about who they are, kind of like gravestones everywhere, all over this whole church. There's one to a man named, oh, I just lost my place. There it is. <laughs> Lord Lawrence. Lord Lawrence was born in 1811. He died in 1879. And he was British, but he served the British Empire in India. And there's this little phrase after all his information about him. It says this, 
He feared man so little because he feared God so much. Yeah, that's what I want people to say about me, about us. We feared people so little because we feared God so much. Think about, dream about with me. What could we do with an endless supply of courage around here? What would our church become if we feared nothing but God? What would I be like? What would you be like? What would we be like as a church if fear was completely replaced with courage? Imagine what fear is holding you in its grip today. And what would you do differently if you were free? Where does your heart break for our community, for our world? What might we look at differently if we had an endless supply of courage coming from the presence of Jesus? You know, one thing that sprung immediately to mind when I started asking myself this question this week, what would we do with an endless supply of courage around here? What would we see differently? I thought we might see these empty seats a little bit differently. We might. I mean, we love and we cherish the people who used to sit in those empty spaces, right? And it's easy to, to, uh, to, get, to get sort of stuck on grieving for them. People who've moved away, who've passed away, who've moved on to other churches. I'll be honest, my heart breaks when anyone leaves this church, and I know yours does too. But what if we ask God to give us the courage to let our hearts break for our neighbors? and our family, and our friends who don't know Jesus. That's a risky prayer, to ask God to break our hearts. What if we saw every nook and cranny of this big, wonderful building God has given us as potential space for people who don't know Jesus yet? What if we ask God to give us the courage to see in each empty seat someone that God is preparing you or me to share Jesus with. There's a a people group in Ghana, in West Africa. They create these symbols, these pictures, to to express some of the the concepts that they feel like words can't really uh, express. And they have this, this symbol It's kind of got like a spike on this side and a spike on this side and squiggles in the middle. And it says this this symbol symbolizes this concept, accept God, E-X-C-E-P-T, accept God. The full meaning is fear no one except God. And apparently you see this symbol all over the place in Ghana, accept God. It reminds people Fear no one except God. 
How might we act if we feared no one except God? God's power can be a game changer, a world changer for you and for me and for us as the family of God here at BPUMC. You know, when Peter and John got back together with the believers after they left the temple, they're, they're let out of jail, they talk to the leaders, and they leave the temple, they go back and gather together with the other Christians, and it says they get together and they pray. Did you notice what they prayed? Look at verse 29. They kind of review with God what's been going on, and they say, God, notice, notice these threats that we're facing. Notice their threats. And then they say, notice their threats, God, and help us to be bold. That's a surprising prayer, because most of my prayers are more like this. Notice their threats and take care of them, God. Make it comfortable for me again. (laughs) They pray, notice their threats and make us even more bold. Do we pray for boldness? What would happen if we made that one of our daily prayers? Make us bold. John Wesley said, Give me a hundred people who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I will shake the world. I care not a straw, whether they be clergymen or laymen. Such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of God upon the earth. That's, that's a challenge. Even greater than Ernest Shackleton's challenge to go to the North Pole. I want to be a part of that. And I hope you do too. Let's pray. God, we only have a tiny inkling of what you can do with people who completely give themselves to you. So God, we're going to ask this morning that you would make us bold. Make us bold. We know that's a risky prayer. We know from the scriptures and from history what happens to believers who pray that prayer. Oh, but God, we believe there is nothing more exciting, nothing more wonderful, and nothing more important than following you with boldness. So we give you our fears today, Lord, and we ask for your courage. In Jesus' name, amen.